Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Good morning, good morning, Fusion Church, 6 a.m. soap. How you guys feeling? You guys awake, you up, you ready to go? Um, this morning we are in Second uh, Samuel 12. 2 Samuel 12, um, so much to cover um, on this because uh, we're going to be dealing with, with David being confronted by the prophet Nathan after his sin. So, um, so much happened in this in this chapter. So I'm going to pray and we're just going to get right into it. Father, we love you. We just thank you for, for this time, this opportunity that we have, Lord, to, to, to dig into your word, Father. I pray. As we pray every day that, Lord, as we read your word, Father, you, you will you will uh, drop new truths, new understanding of your will, of your word, Father, of, of what you want for us, Lord God. I pray that you be with everyone on this call, everyone listening uh, to the sound of my voice, whether right now or later on on the podcast, Lord God, that you will just be with them, bless them, keep them, guide them, Lord Jesus, and uh, just, just be with us, Lord God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, Second Samuel twelve, and uh, before um, I jump into reading Second Samuel twelve, twelve, I just want to bring it a little bit into, into context. What happened in in chapter eleven? You know, it's the story of David and Bathsheba, and how how he um, he saw her bathing from the rooftop of his palace, and you know they committed adultery. She got pregnant. He had. Uh, her husband killed and then brought her um in and uh, made her his wife right pretty scandalous you know uh happenings in the life of david during this time but what's really important to me the very last verse in chapter 11 it says but the thing that david had done displeased the lord the thing that david had done displeased the lord and in chapter 11 that's the only time that God is even mentioned, right? That what David did displeased him. And it says to me that God was right there. He was very much present with everything that David was doing, right? It's not like, you know, like God is ever naive to any of our actions, God is not naive to any of our sin. It's not like we commit sin, you know, we've been committing sin for a while and all of a sudden God's like, whoop. I cannot believe that he just did that. God is very aware. So he's displeased. And then right here, chapter 12, we're going to get into it. So 2 Samuel 12, beginning with verse 1, I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. 
And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold to, for the lamb, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives from before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to him, and it became ill. Verse 16, David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that, this, that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes. He went to the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house, and when, he, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Verse 24, then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son, and he called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him, and he said, Word by the hand of Nathan the prophet, so he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. Now Joab fought against Rabbah of the people of Ammon and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah and have taken the city's water supply. Now, therefore, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called after my name. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah, fought against it, and took it. Then he took their king's crown from his head. Its weight was a talent of gold with precious stones. And it was set on David's head. Also, he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance. And he brought out the people who were in it and put them to work with saws and iron picks and iron axes and made them cross over to the brickworks. So he did all he did to all the cities of the people of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. 
Amen. Amen. All right. So a lot happened here and we only have so much time to cover it. So, so we see what David did in chapter 11 and right away, God sends the prophet Nathan to confront him. And, and because David's sin displeased the Lord, but, but David didn't listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He didn't listen to his own conscience. So now God had to send someone else to speak to David, right? God, by his mercy, kept speaking to David, even when David wasn't listening. And no one, we, we, we should never assume that God is going to speak forever to an unrepentant sinner, right? God is not going to speak forever. So you mess up, you commit a sin, you do whatever it is you're doing, right? And your conscience is going to take hold. The Holy Spirit's going to try to speak to you, right? God's going to try to get your attention in many ways. And if you're still being stubborn, and you still don't want to listen, then he's probably going to send someone to you, right? To confront you of your sin. God said in Genesis 6, 3, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. When we hear or sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we must respond to it immediately. We have to, because it might not always be there. So he tells them the story of the two men and, and, and with wisdom and courage, Nathan used this story to get the message through to David. You know, it, it was common in those days to have a lamb as a pet. Right. And so Nathan used the story of a pet lamb to speak to David, to speak to David, who was a shepherd at heart. Right. So you, you're, you know, pretty much he was speaking David's language when you're talking about sheep and lambs. And previously, we read about just last week, last Wednesday, that, that Nathan delivered a message of great blessing to David when he said that, you know, your name, your, your, your son shall sit on the throne of Israel forever. So, so David knew that Nathan was not a negative critic. Nathan was a friend. So it made David even more receptive to the message of the story. That's why it's so critical that we have those people in our lives, those trusted friends. Those trusted people that are, they're, they're going to tell you the good, but they're also going to tell you the bad. And when you have relationship with them, they will know how to talk to you, how to speak to you, how to get through to you. And, and so what Nathan is really describing in this story is a theft, right? You know, one guy stole a lamb from another guy in the story. And in a sense, David stole something from Uriah. 1 Corinthians 3, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 7, uh, beginning with verse 3, says that in a marriage, a husband has authority over the body of the wife and vice versa. So David did not have authority over the body of Bathsheba, and he stole Bathsheba from Uriah. Adultery, sexual immorality are, are, are sins in many ways. And in one aspect, they are a theft because we're taking something that does not belong to us. And this principle is included in, in, in pornography. And, and Leviticus 18 describes the sin of uncovering the nakedness of those that are not our spouse. The idea is that the nakedness of, of others does not belong to us. And it is theft if we take it. Right? David committed theft in a sense, when he slept with Bathsheba. And so verse 5 says that David's anger was greatly aroused. 
right? Nathan did not ask David for for uh, a judgment, right? And David, but and, and David, he naturally assumed that the story that he was telling him was a true story that was actually happening. So David immediately passed a sentence on the guilty man. David showed that we often try to get rid of our guilty conscience by passing judgment on someone else. Anybody, anybody, you know, just me, you know, you mess up and, you know, so, so right away you want to be like, but look at them, look, look what they're doing. You know, David messed up. He says, the man who has done this shall surely die. David, David's sense of righteous indignation was so affected by his own guilt that he commanded a death sentence for, for this hypothetical case that was brought by Nathan, even though this theft wasn't a capital crime, right? This wasn't a crime. that they, you, you, It was a death sentence. But David was ready to kill this dude for what he had done. David had to had to condemn his own sin before he could find forgiveness. And we often try to find refuge in excusing or, or minimizing or deflecting the blame of our sin. We simply do not condemn sin in ourselves. David's use, use of the oath, as the Lord lives, shows how pas- passionate his indignation was how passionately, you know, just just filled with anger he was by this story. He called God to witness the righteousness of his death sentence upon Nathan's hypothetical rich man. And he says, "He shall restore fourfold to the lamb, uh, for the lamb." David knew that penalizing the rich man, even even with death, wasn't enough. He also had to restore something to the man that he took something from. David knew that true repentance means that there needs to be restitution in place. When he says restore fourfold, it shows that David's sin did not diminish his knowledge of the Bible. He immediately knew that what the Bible said about those who stole sheep. Exodus 22 1 says, If a man steals an ox or sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for one ox and four sheep for a sheep. David knew the Bible. David knew the Bible. But at this point in his life, he was very far from the author. That's a dangerous place to be. Dangerous place to be. Because we can look at history and see 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 so many examples of people who know the Bible, who can talk the Bible, preach the Bible, but they're so full of sin, they are unable to recognize it. They know the Bible, but they're far from the author. And then Nathan says, you are the man. You are the man. And with this, David applied um, this parable with with, uh, uh, alarming simplicity, right? Very, very simple. Nathan had to shock David into seeing his sin for what it was. And then he speaks the word of the Lord. And the Lord says, in verse 7, I anointed you. I delivered you. Verse 8, I gave you. And he gave you the house of Israel and Judah. Also, I would have given you much more. Through Nathan, God 
explain to David that his sin was really a base expression of ingratitude. God is saying, look at all the things I've given you and you still weren't content. Look at all the blessings I bestowed upon you and you still weren't happy and you still had to go after something that did not belong to you. God gave all this to David and he had so much more to give him, but David sought out sin instead. He says, why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Psalm 19, 8 says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Yet by his sin, he desp- David despised the commandment of the Lord. Dave, David acted as if, as if God's command was wrong and to be despised when he did evil in his sight. He says, you have killed Uriah. You have taken his wife. God won't allow David to blame anyone or anything else. He won't even give him the opportunity. He says in verse 10, the sword shall never depart from your house. God promised that from that day forward, David would know violence and bloodshed among his own family members. David uh, demanded fourfold in, uh, restitution for the man in the, in the parable. So God exacted fourfold restitution for Uriah from four of David's sons. And throughout the, you know, we're going to be reading in the next few days about these sons that David's going to lose. He's going to lose this child that Bathsheba's pregnant with. He's going to lose his son Amon, Absalom, and Adonijah. David commanded fourfold restitution. So God took fourfold restitution. Why? Because God says, you have despised me. In verse 9, God said David dis- that, that, that David despised the commandment of the Lord. Here, Nathan is explaining that in doing this, David despised God himself. We can't despise God's commandments without despising him. Let me say it again. We cannot despise God's commandments without despising him. We know what the word of the Lord says. We know what the Bible says. And when we disobey that, we are despising that. And in turn, we are despising God. So be very careful, brothers and sisters, on who you're listening to, who you're watching, what sermons you're watching on YouTube. Okay? Because there's a lot of amazing YouTube preachers out there. Amazing, right? Pastors all around the world who put their put their messages on the net. And oftentimes they say great things, but but what are they standing for? What are the underlying issues that they're okay with? If it goes against the word of God, it means they are despising the word of God. And in turn, they are against God. They are despising God himself. And you don't want to be under that umbrella where you are despising God. Many who live in either open or or hidden sin seem to believe it has no effect or little effect on their relationship with God. But despising God's commandment means despising God himself. And we can't have fellowship with God and despise him at the same time. All right. You cannot have a relationship with God and despise him at the same time. Married folk. How many times have you guys been um, at odds with your significant other? 
you know, you guys are ha- you guys are, are in, a, in a season of uh, elevated conversation. We'll just say, right? You don't feel very close to them, do you? No, there's some th- there's 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 a block, right? The same thing goes with God. You cannot be in open sin and think and have the audacity to think that you can still have a close relationship with him. First John 1, 6 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Um, it goes on to say, uh, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, God didn't even use Bathsheba's own name. He wanted David to consider Bathsheba not only as an individual, but also as the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Verse 11, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. The Living Bible Translation um, takes the word adversity and uses the word rebellion. God warned David that because he troubled another man's house, God would allow the trouble to come upon David's house from within David's house. It says, I will take your wives from, uh, from uh, your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. As David violated uh, another man's wife, so another will violate his wives. And this is going to be this is will be fulfilled in Second Samuel sixteen, um, verses twenty one through twenty two. We're going to read about how Absalom, his son Absalom, abused his father's concubines on 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 the on the, the housetop, and perhaps even the same top of the house, the same rooftop, the same terrace that David first looked and lusted after Bathsheba. Isn't that ain't that a trip? You know, ain't that a trip? God's going to use the same thing you did. He's getting, okay, okay, this happened. You did this. Now it's going to happen to you. The same exact thing. He says, You did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel. In these judgments, David will reap what he has sown, and he's going to reap it with interest. So, how does David respond? Right? Put yourself in David's shoes, and you're going to hear, you're hearing all this stuff is going to happen to you, right? how the, the judgment of the Lord is going to come upon you. There's going to be adversity in your house and all this stuff, right? What's David say? Verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. This is a, an amazing example. He placed the blame squarely on his shoulders. He didn't minimize the offense. He didn't try to justify you know, the offense, he realized that he had he had a sin against God. In the original Hebrew, David's statement, I have sinned against the Lord, amounts to, to two words, Hata al-Yahweh. And these two words and, and the heart that they reflect show the fundamental difference between David and Saul. Confession doesn't need to be long to be real and sincere. This was this was a very good response from a man of David and, uh, and the position in his life because kings from other nations, they could do this, this type of stuff and just get away with it. It's not a big deal. And if they're confronted, they'll just kill the person that confronted them and move on with their life, right? But David showed that God was working on his heart the entire time. And Nathan's confrontation was just that last piece of God's work that he needed. David spoke of himself. He said, I, I, I have sinned. It isn't, you know, it isn't we have sinned, even though there was more than one person who was at who was at fault during this thing. David took responsibility for himself. He knew that he had to deal with his sin. 
right? David showed personal responsibility for his actions. He didn't use elaborate vocabulary, you know. David was a poet. He could have, you know, give some poetic response for what he did in this moment, right? But but he didn't. He said, I've sinned. His sin against Bathsheba, against Uriah, against his wives and, and his children, and against the nation were great. But his sin against the Lord was greatest of all. Listen, there are no small sins against a great God. Our great sins are even greater because it is God that we're sinning against. After meditation, David more eloquently uh, um, expressed his his repentance in Psalm 51. Psalm 51, beginning verse 1, he says, uh, Psalm of David, it says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Verse 16, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. There, O God, you will not despise. David's awareness of sin, his desire for cleansing, his recognition of God's righteous judgment, his understanding of what God wants are each very, very clear in Psalm 51. And Nathan says, the prophet, the Lord also has put away your sin. God's forgiveness was immediate. God did not demand a, a time of probation. You know, it was immediate. But he goes on to say, the child who is born to you shall surely die. There, there, there's a, a difference, and this 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 is tough for a lot of people to read and try to understand because there's a difference between judgment for sin and judgment by sin. God forgave David's sin, but he would not shield him from the consequence of his sin. God had to face the consequences of, excuse me, David had to face the consequences of his sin, beginning with the death of the child that's going to be born by Bathsheba. This shows that God didn't only want to heal David of the guilt of his sin. He also wanted to heal David of the presence of his sin. Verse 15 says the Lord struck the child. And again, this is hard for us to accept that the Lord struck the child. Because sadly, often the it's the innocent who suffer because of the sin of the guilty. Since the, the sickness that was, that was on, on the child um, came immediately, after words of the prophet, it was received as if this was from the hand of God. This was far more tragic for David and Bathsheba than it was for the child himself. This this young son suffered only for a few days, and and we can we we, we should trust that that God's comfort was extended to the child in the in the midst of the suffering. And at the end of the suffering, this child went on to to go on to eternal glory. Though the child died, that the penalty was really on David and Bathsheba, not on the child. This illustrates a very important principle. Even when sin is forgiven, a price must be paid. God does not simply pass over or excuse our sin. It's forgiven, but a price must be paid. 
And often an innocent party pays the price for forgiveness. It says, um, talks about the child, says the, 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 that Uriah's wife bore to David. Though Uriah was, de- was dead and, and David was now legally married to Bathsheba, the, the biblical writer still referred to Bathsheba as Uriah's wife. And, and, and this is because when the child was conceived, Uriah was alive and Bathsheba was Uriah's wife. It's God's way of saying Uriah's death and the subsequent marriage doesn't make everything all right. David married Bathsheba after Uriah died as a way to cover his sin. You know, hey, I'm, I did right by, you know, I did right by, by the situation. But no, God still saw the sin. It says, therefore, verse 16, David, uh, he pleaded with God. For the child. And, and David was right to take the announcement of God's judgment as an invitation to earnestly seek his mercy. When God's judgment is, is announced or his judgment is present, we shouldn't receive it passively or or with you know a depression. You know, Saul, when he received the word that the, the nation was going to be torn from him, you know, he didn't take it too seriously, I don't think. And, and it, as things were getting real, then, you know, he, he, he went every way except the way he should have gone to, to ask for forgiveness, to be reconciled with God. See, we should cry out to God in repentance and ask for his grace and his mercy, just as David did in this, this, this situation. Verse 16 says that David fasted, but then verse 18 says that the child died. And this shows that that uh, prayer and fasting don't often change God's mind. You know, it, it put David in the right place to receive what he must from God, but it did not force God to change his plan. Listen, extraordinary prayers, extraordinary fasting are, are not tools to get whatever we want from God. They are demonstrations of a radical submission and surrender to God's power and his will. You know, in the beginning of the year, we're going to once again, you know, go into our Daniel fast, our 21 days of Daniel fast, right? And so often people go into the Daniel fast thinking, I'm going to fast to get something. Now, during the fast, God oftentimes moves. Things happen. Miracles happen, Right. But when those things happen, where's the heart of that individual who's praying and fasting, right? They're focused on God. But too often we, we think that, you know, I'm just going to pray and fast and God will come through. And that's not always how it works, right? It says that in verse 20 that, you know, he went into the house of the Lord and worship. This shows that David's extraordinary prayer and fasting were answered. And they may not have been answered the way, you know, he wanted it to be answered, but they were still answered. Because he had a sense of peace when the child died, knowing he did all he could to seek to seek God's mercy in this time of discipline. The ability to worship and honor God in, in a time of trial or in a time of crisis is a wonderful demonstration of spiritual confidence. He says, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. David was confident that his son would meet him in heaven. This is, a, this is an indication that babies and perhaps children who pass from this world go to heaven. 
1 Corinthians 7.14 is an additional promise of, of assurance that the that, that children are saved, at least until they, they come to an age of personal accountability, which may, which may differ for, for, for each child. And it, it, if children are saved and do go to heaven, it's important to understand that it is not because they are innocent. Our sons and our daughters have the same guilt of Adam. We're, you know, we're all born guilty of sin. And if such children, if children, because the word, the Bible is not very adamant about this, it just kind of gives like inferences and, you know, and, and so, but, but if, if such children, if they go to heaven, it's not because they're innocent and they deserve heaven, but because of the rich mercy of God has been extended to them. It says in verse 24 that David comforted uh, Bathsheba, his wife. And this is the first time the writer called this woman Bathsheba, except for when she was first introduced um, in chapter 11. Because every other time she was referred to as um, the wife of Uriah. Now, only after the punishment for sin, is she called Bathsheba, his wife. And he went and he lay with her. This shows that God did not command that David forsake or leave Bathsheba. Even though his marriage to her was originally sinful, he was to honor God in his marriage commitment that he had made, even though it began as a sin. And she bore him a son. And here is the great forgiveness, the great tenderness, the great mercy of God. He did not hold a grudge against David and Bathsheba. The, David, the days of, of blessing and fruitfulness were not over for David, even though God made a command and said, you know, you're gonna, there's going to be, you know, turmoil and all this stuff coming from your house. There was still going to be blessing. He called his name Solomon. Remarkably, it is this son, Solomon, the son born uh, out of a marriage that began in adultery that would be heir to David's throne. It would be this son, Solomon, who would be the one to build the temple of God that David was preparing for. It is through this son Solomon that the that the line of David will go on forever. It is through this son Solomon that eventually Jesus Christ would be born. Jesus Christ, who still sits on the throne of David today, that is an amazing blessing. God still used David's sin to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. God chose this son amongst David's many sons to be heir to the throne to be the ancestor of the Messiah. And it demonstrates the truth that God forgives repentant sinners. People may not forgive. We may really, uh, you know, we may refuse to really believe that we've been forgiven, but God still forgives repentant sinners. And it also says that they call his name Jedediah. So, you know, oftentimes in the Bible, people have, will have multiple names. Um, it says they call his name Jedediah. This means loved of the Lord. It was God's way of saying that he would love and bless the son of David and Bathsheba, this son born out of a marriage that began in adultery. He was still loved by the Lord. And then we're going to we're going to close here. Uh, I'm already over time. Um, now we're at the very end of this of this chapter. It goes back to the war that's taken place. Right. The war that David um, was not at, which caused him to sin with Bathsheba. Right. You know, because of verse 11, it, it talks about you know, that they were out at war, but David wasn't at war. 
where he should have been, right? So it's like, okay, that war is still going on. All right, Joab is still trying to take this city, right? He's and he's been he's been trying to go after the city for for you know over a year now, right? And and he's having you know he's been having difficulty, you know. And he said he he calls to David, hey, come come fight. You know, come out here. He says, lest I take the city and it be called after my name. It's Joab, he's almost goading David, you know, you know, into returning. It's like he's saying, I'll take the credits of myself if you don't come and finish this war. Like, come on, let's go. So, you know, again, he struggled for more than a year. And the victory only came when David got things right with God. Right. That's that's key. There was there was an unseen spiritual reason behind the lack of victory at Rabbah. David's sin at home hindered Joab's success in battle. It showed the success um, of a conquering city. Now that David was reconciled to God, there could be victory. You may be trying to find victory in your life. There may be a situation that you've been struggling with. You know, it could be anything. It could be, you know, reconciliation in your marriage. It could be a new job. It could be, you know, a, a child coming to, 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 to know who Christ is, a spouse coming. It could be anything, you know, right? But that miracle may be hindered because there's something in your life that you're not dealing with. There may be some sin, some spiritual issue that you're not dealing with. Israel was unable to conquer Rabbah because there was sin in David's house. David the king. So this is very, very important for us, for, for us to realize, right? So it says, um, so that David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah. This was the initial phase of, of his restoration. He went back to doing what he should have been doing all along, leading Israel in battle instead of remaining in Israel. And so they fought against the city and they took it. Again, David was in victory. Now, his sin did not condemn him to a life of failure and defeat like we saw with Saul, because Saul was not repentant. Saul never asked for forgiveness, right? Saul tried to justify his actions continually tried to justify his actions, right? And then even went as far as, you know, committing witchcraft and, and, and speaking to, 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 to the witch of Endor, you know, instead of praying to God. David are right away said, I have sinned against God. And all there were still consequences and repercussions for what he did, the Lord still restored him. It says in verse 30, he took their king's crown and it was set on David's head. David's sin didn't take away his crown, but David refused the voice. Uh, you know, had David refused the voice of Nathan, the prophet, he may have lost his crown. Just like Saul did. But he heeded the voice of the prophet. And he got another crown of another king. Because David responded with confession and repentance, there was still a crown on David's head. Brothers and sisters, as I close, there are blessings that are ready to come down on your life. This is a word from somebody. There are blessings that God is, is waiting to bestow on you. But there's some hidden sin. There's something that we're not dealing with. And David and Saul, again, are prime examples 
of how we deal with our, with our sin. They're complete opposites. Saul ran from his sin. Saul tried to justify his sin. You know, David confessed his sin immediately. And look, look at the differences and how, how things turned out. So maybe it's time for us just to take a, take a, take a step back, really inquire of the Lord. Lord, what is that thing that I'm, I'm struggling with? And chances are, you know what it is, right? We just try to put it in the back of our minds. Like, we're not even thinking about this thing. Whatever it is, but confess it. Confess, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against God. Allow God to get some restoration into your life. Allow God to, put, to, to heal what's in your heart. And there will be blessings. You may still have to deal with the consequences. But God will restore and God will bless. Amen. Amen. Father, I love you. We thank you, Lord, for what for, for, for this word, Lord God. We thank you for your promise that you will restore. Your promise, Father, that you will forgive, immediately forgive, Lord. We don't have to beat ourselves up. We don't got to go through a, uh, a whole season of just uh, whipping ourselves because we, we, we've messed up. No, Lord, we just got to need to go to you, confess our sin. Confess that we have we have sinned against you, Father, and you are faithful to forgive us of our sins, Lord God. So thank you for this truth, Lord. Father, I pray for each and every one of my brothers and sisters that are listening right now, those listening later on in the podcast, Father, that you will continue to speak to them, Jesus. Continue to, to, to touch their hearts, touch their minds, open up their eyes to what it is you want from them, what you have for them, the blessings that you want to bestow upon them, Lord. Those areas in our lives, Father, that we need to make some adjustments in and, and really, really give to you and sacrifice to you, Lord. Be with us as we go out throughout the rest of our week, Father, and, and we just love you. We just love you. We just love you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, brothers and sisters, sorry I went a little long today, but it was so much to cover. Um, I will see you again next week. God bless. Thank you. God bless you.